Our Father in heaven, Lord, as we come to you, we just recognize so much, Lord, our need for you. Father, we pray that you would settle our hearts. Father, that you would, through your spirit, grab our attention. Father, that you would use your word. Father, that I would step aside and allow you to speak through me. And Father, that we as a congregation, as individuals, Lord, might have hearts that hear your word and that apply it to our lives. We thank you, Father, for this book of Ephesians that we're going through and all that we're learning. We pray, Father, today that your word would impact our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll close make a statement about who we are. I'm not talking about the fashions today when you see commercials and they talk about, you know, you got to have this, you got to have that. But clothes make a statement. I'm sure that if you've been at the airport or if you've been downtown at train station or wherever, if you're like me, I find myself watching people and just day to day, if I see young girls with plaid skirts on, I think Catholic school. Maybe Christian school. If I see people in scrubs, I think medical field. If I see people and I'm with, and I have been with staff and friends, and we're riding around in the city, and we see these sharp-looking people, these dark black suits on, maybe some shades on, and someone would undoubtedly say, Mafia? May be, may not be. When I see orange jumpsuits, I think back to when I was growing up and there used to be black and white striped jumpsuits. I think prison. Today, we don't wear orange jumpsuits to work. I don't wear an orange jumpsuit when I go to Humboldt Park to jog. Even prisoners, when they're released, don't wear orange jumpsuits. They issued a new set of clothing. I just thought. Sometimes at the airport, I'll see these sharp-looking guys with a nice suit on, and I look down at their feet, and they're wearing these really nice cowboy boots. They may have a Texas-style Hat. I know who, I know. They're from Texas. Well, in spiritual terms, this is what Ephesians 4 has been teaching us. Last week, Pastor Eric talked about the fact that we're new creations in Christ and that we're to put off the old self, the old clothes, and that we're to be renewed in our minds and put on new set of clothing, a new self, put off the old.
Yes? All right. So I know where we left off, but spiritually then, we, 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 we talked about the fact that spiritually we take off the old and put on the new. Conversion means that we die to an old way of life and begin a new life. The Spirit of God wants us to, He wants to make us like Christ, but He needs us to be willing to allow Him to work His purpose in our lives. If we continue to walk like the old man, the Spirit of God inside of us is grieved. He's sad. He's, he's disappointed in us. How do we live in such a way that we don't grieve the Spirit of God? Well, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 32, Paul gives us five commands, applying actually the passage that Pastor Eric preached on last week. And what I love about this passage is it's not some kind of uh, abstract type thing. It's, it's very clear. It's, it's taking God's word and this saying, do this and don't do this. As a matter of fact, there's a pattern for most of them. And first, we're told that some aspect of our old life should be taken off, should be uh, removed. And then secondly, we're told that some aspect of life should be added do this. And then third, most of them, either through implication or directly, says this is why. This is why you take off this and you put on this. It's because of this. So it's really clear for us. You know, the only reliable evidence that a person is being saved is not a past experience, but it's a present life in which we're walking with the Lord. 1 John 2, 4 says, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. The paradox of the Christian life is both the sovereignty of God, is he who saves us, is he who draws us to himself, and yet also there is the aspect of us as believers choosing to be obedient to God. It's our responsibility to stop doing certain things and start doing things. We'll see our first command out of the five in verse 25. It says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one with another. First command. We're to stop lying Start telling the truth. Why? Because we're one body. We're to stop lying, start telling the truth, because we're part of one body. Ah, that's a temptation for us sometimes to say, well, I don't directly lie. The truth is, is there's so many ways to lie. There's the exaggeration. Those of you around when Pastor Wayne was here, he used to love to say, I told you a million times, don't exaggerate. Exaggeration is lying. Students cheating on test is lying. Plagiarism is also. Misrepresenting the facts. Maybe when you go and buy a new car and you say, oh, this 
this car runs fine. It doesn't use any oil. Down the line, misrepresenting the facts. Maybe in expense reports for those in business. Tax return period, are we honest? When we file our income tax, students, curfews as you talk with mom and dad, spouses as we interact. The opportunity to shade the truth is so constant. Paul says, stop lying and start telling the truth. Why? Because we're part of one body. And literally it says, body parts of one another. Body parts of one another. Sometimes we get sick because part of our body quits functioning. Sometimes we have to go to the hospital. Because, see, we need all our body parts working together. If I can't see, I may be in danger of hitting things. If we don't function well together, we can't trust each other. There must be integrity in the body of Christ for us to function. You know, there are certain people that I share deep issues in my life with. I share with them my struggles. I share with them the hurt, maybe, or, or the, the confusion or the questions in my life. And I share with them because I know that they're men of integrity. And you do, too. But I think that we all, there's some people we won't share well with these deep things because there's a lack of integrity. So we stop lying and start telling the truth because... We're part of one body. And when we lie, we need to remember that Satan is the father of lies. The state of Arizona some years ago passed a law that prevented people from spreading lies about its farm products. It allowed farmers to be able to sue anyone who maliciously told stories about their vegetables. It's interesting that people sometimes are more concerned about vegetables than we are about the integrity in our lives. So first, stop lying. Tell the truth. Because we need integrity in the body of Christ. Second command we see in verses 26 and 27. We must stop holding on to our anger and start controlling or rather processing it so that we won't give Satan a foothold in our lives. Be angry, he says, and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for Satan. Note the passage doesn't say, don't be angry. Paul was careful to say, in your, in your anger, do not sin. Because I believe that God's word is clear that sometimes we should be angry. When there is injustice, when we see sex trafficking taking place around the world, we should be angry. When we see someone mistreated, we should be angry. When we see abortion taking place, we should be angry. But there's a way to process that and to deal with it. On the other hand... Too often, my anger, and maybe your anger, 
is self-centered. This self-defense is all about me. <laughs> we need to remember as we think about anger. Anger is a normal emotion. It's a normal emotion. It's just learning how to deal with it. We all are familiar with the passage where Jesus Christ cleared the temple and he was angry. But he dealt with it in a righteous way. Second, anger is like a warning light. If you drive, sometimes that red light comes on. It's a warning and it says, watch out, check out something in your car. We can keep driving our car. And if it's, the oil is gone, trouble, right? Anger is like a warning light saying you need to deal with something in your life. How well do you and I process that anger in our lives? Third, anger can cause harm. James 1, 19 and 20 says, Let everyone be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We'll be slow to speak, slow to anger, because our, our anger does not produce the righteousness of God. Uh, I think back to last year. If you remember, there were some heavy downfalls of rain. And in our house, basement, where we have our bedrooms, we had six, eight inches twice. And we were up all night. Boy, when the second time came in, I knew what happened the night uh, the week before. And I yelled at Zach. And immediately, I knew I was wrong. I'd hurt him. I was wrong. And I had to stop and say, Zach, I'm, I'm sorry. I, you know, last week, we were up all night long. And I know what's going to happen tonight. Forgive me. That happens in our lives. I'm not proud of it, but that's the truth. Anger can harm. Fourth, anger must be resolved. Anger is not meant to be long-lived. If we allow anger to remain, that idea of revenge comes in. Years ago, when my house was being worked on and the contractor kind of left me with an open house, there was times that I just kind of allowed in my mind uh, what I could do to this man. And continually I had to go back, Lord, you're in control. Help me to be obedient to you. Even righteous anger, if we allow it to, can, can move toward revenge. How many of us have seen on TV or, or just in, in, in person, sometimes pro-life people at rallies, sometimes instead of being gentle and loving, 
Sometimes they can be angry and bitter. That's not what God wants. God wants us to process it and to forgive. Romans 12:17 says, Don't repay evil for evil. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Why be concerned on holding on to anger? Because harbored bitterness gives opportunity to Satan. And when we open the door for Satan, the door is wide open. It's so interesting. Over the years, as I've counseled with people in, 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 in different cases with different men and, 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 and couples, so often something happens and somebody backlaps, you know, uh, backslides if it's in the area of pornography or if it's sexual infidelity or whatever it is. And I asked them a question. I said, what happened before you did what you did? Sometimes they're quickly able to say, this happened, I got angry. You see, anger leaves the door open to Satan. Second Corinthians 2.11, Paul is talking about forgiving, and he says that we're to forgive because we don't want to be outwitted by Satan, for we know, for we are not ignorant of his schemes, his, his designs. Satan wants to use our anger. He wants us to feel pity. He wants us to feel sorry for ourselves. He wants us to feel like we've been mistreated. And then in turn, we begin saying to ourselves, I deserve this. Remember, unresolved anger opens the door for Satan. Jack was unfaithful to his wife. He still places the blame totally on his wife for his infidelity.